Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 129, so I've been really, really binging uh, movie music videos on YouTube. It's an oddly specific, like, section of the internet, but like, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I love movies, and you love movies if you're here. The only thing I love just as much as movies is movie music, because I think it's an often undervalued part of filmmaking, because you have to listen as well as you watch so what we're going to talk about today is our favorite movie composers your john williams your Hans zimmers but believe it or not people there's other names besides just those two um so we'll go over all that josh how you doing tonight i'm chilling like a villain man Apparently completely washed out by my lamp light, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you look a little jaundiced, but you've looked worse. I mean, that is true. I mean, did you ever see me in high school? Anyway, um, yeah, you had hair <laughs> then. I know. Oh, that was a low blow. Oh, speaking I'm doing of, good though. Speaking of uh, low blows, I started watching Invincible. Just so you know. Attaboy! Um, what what episode are you on? Two. No, no, like I've finished episode two, so like technically I'm on episode three. Okay, okay. Um, I will say right off the bat, I do find it a little bit coincidental, coincidental, that our main character, a Grayson with dark hair, has a thing for a fellow superhero that also is a redhead and is a part of a teenage superhero group. Um, really? And this Grayson has daddy issues. And Grayson has daddy (laughs) issues. Really? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And that's not where it stops. Oh no! Like it's like it's it's like it's and it's on purpose. It's definitely on purpose. Also, um, I noticed this right away in the first episode, in the establishing shot of the high school. The high school is Reginald Val Johnson High School. Really? Carl from Family Matters and the cop from Die Hard. Really? Like, is this just um, Robert Kirkman's fan fiction of I want Reginald Val Johnson to have his own high school because he's a great hero. Other than that, like, I'm really digging it. I obviously, because I'm not coming into this like the very first week it debuted, I know where this is shaping up to be. Yeah. Um, well, also, to be fair, the first episode points you in the direction of what the rest of the season is going yeah, to be. To which I don't know how I feel about that, actually. I don't know how you would logistically do it, but I know in the comic, the reveal of who the true bad guy is does not happen so early on. It goes no. on for a while that you begin to trust said characters. So having it right off the bat in the first episode, I'm kind of on the fence about if I like or not, because I'm just like, I think if this was a mid-season reveal like you have all your discount justice leaguers die in the first episode but you don't know how they died um you're obviously going to be suspicious of the one person that's going to be surviving but if you draw out that mystery a little bit more um also i know it's just my personal taste but like excessive violence especially in animated form is still so jarring to me mm-hmm. it's so like when everyone's brutally massacred in the first episode i had seen clips of it in the corridor crew review of it not review, mm-hmm. but like animation breakdown. Just like Jesus, because um, the show, yeah. the show is basically all or nothing when it comes to gratuitous violence. It's either people are getting their heads smashed in, like if Hulk smashing Loki at the beginning of Avengers at the end of Avengers was realistic, um, or 
there is no action whatsoever in it. It's just characters talking, which is fine. The uh, voice acting in this is spectacular. It's a great voice cast. But I just think it's really interesting that it's either people are getting their brains bashed out or they're just chilling and they want to get an ice cream cone. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to me to see extremes. I think the extremes are the interesting thing uh, for me on the show. Um, you you you're so the reveal early on in the first episode of the that you know who you know it basically tells you right off the bat who the main baddie of the season. Yeah, the right? trailer showed so. Yes, basically, um, all but said it and whatnot, but. To me, and this is, again, you're starting out, and we'll see how you feel about it at at the end of the season, but for me, having read the comics, and then they kind of show you right off the bat, it's more about you know the truth, and you feel like you're the only one that knows the truth. Okay, that's fair. So you're seeing all the characters interact with this character who they think is good, but you know the truth about him. You know what I mean. So it's it's it, in some ways it's a very it's very smart um, and very a very risky thing to do. Yeah. Okay. I I get that. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think if I've been watching anything. Um, I don't believe so. I just started with that. And- going through the rest of my tv shows and i'm just like i'm finally gonna get around to watching invincible which is only eight episodes for the first season so it's not gonna take me very long to get through it uh overall i really really like it i think the voice cast is the best thing about it by far my favorite character is i don't think he'll show up for more than one episode but uh there's a guy played by seth rogan called alan the alien he's the best alan the alien is basically a I don't want to say bounty hunter, but kind of a bounty hunter. Like this big alien that gets sent to other worlds basically to test that world to make sure, okay, do you have someone strong enough to protect your Earth? So Invincible fights him in like the second episode. And then he's just like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? It's like, this is Earth, right? How do you you spell it? With a Y or with an E? With a Y. No, no, this is Earth with an E. Oh, my my bad. Th- this one, this one, like our truth. My my bad. This one's on me. Hope you have yeah. a great day. And he just pieces like Dude. I oh. laughed so hard. I'm just, wait, you were sent here to destroy us all. Oops, wrong planet. My bad. <laughs> we're good. It's the best. It's the best. Hey, I, I'll say that he shows up later and... But like he he is like one of my favorite characters. Um, I'm trying. To, there's a lot of really really interesting things that they do. So I, I'm very intrigued to see what you think of the show by the end. Um, yeah, I haven't. I'm trying to think, man. It's been such a busy weekend, busy week for me that I haven't really watched anything new, so to speak. I have. I just recently down finished downloading. At least it should be done downloading. Um, the new Resident Evil game, and it's like Ooh, only is that the one like with the tall lady. Yes, <laughs> the tall lady that's like breaking uh, the internet. Yes, for no stupid, no real reason, except the internet needs to go to horny jail. Um, <laughs> internet likes tall women, apparently. Apparently, who knew? I mean, I knew, but that's not the point. Um, 
And it's only like a nine-hour game, so like I'm gonna knock that out in like a weekend, easy. Hmm. Um, actually, I've been playing some. I've been playing MLB 2K21 on uh, PS5. But the nice thing is, for the first time in I don't know how long, there's like uh, create your own ballpark, which is a really cool feature. Oh. And, <laughs> and there's like 30 templates already. So one of them is more or less like Field of Dreams. So it's like an open cornfield. So I've been doing home run derby with a whole bunch of old school players like Stan the Man Musial and Ken Griffey Jr. Nice. And I'm just like, this is so cool to just hit it in wide open field. I'm like, this is this is paradise. This is heaven. No, it's Iowa. But you get the picture. <laughs> yeah. um, but let's get into some news because there's some interesting topics this week. Kicking us off for our first news topic is one that we kind of discussed a few weeks ago, but it's more or less like set in stone now uh, about the upcoming Black Superman movie that we don't really know if it's a reboot or an alongside like an Elseworlds type of thing. Um, but when it first got announced, we were kind of wondering who the Superman would be. Would it be a Val Zod? Would it be a Calvin Ellis? A known black superman from the comics no it seems like our other idea that we had that they might be going with a black clark kent is actually what they're going with and i'm of two minds of this uh i'm a bit more receptive to it than the rest of the internet has been because the internet hates everything that isn't spot on of the comics however i get both sides of the argument for this um so I'm going to try and weigh the pros and the cons for this. The biggest con here that some people still can see as a positive, but we'll get into that. The fact that you made this announcement of our new Superman will be Clark Kent. You make this announcement on Henry Cavill's birthday. Like, yeah. that's a low blow to Henry Cavill. It doesn't close the door on him. I know a lot of people are just like, Henry Cavill got fired from Superman on his birthday. That's not true because Warner Brothers has very clearly said that this is on its own separate earth, at own separate timeline, whatever you want to call it. This is separate from everything else. Um, I think that's a good call, but also here's where some people are going to get mad. I think it's a smarter move for him to be Clark Kent than Val Zod or Calvin Ellis. And here's why. More people know the name Clark Kent than Val Zod. When people think Superman, they think Clark Kent. And I know we've said it a few weeks ago, you could have a Val Zod or Calvin Ellis, black Superman, in a movie. That's fine. But people are still going to be wondering in the back of their minds, where's the Clark Kent of this world? Is he out there somewhere? And nipping that in the butt now saying, there's no other Clark Kent. This is Clark Kent of this world. I think is a smart play from a marketing standpoint. Um, I'm still apprehensive about this movie just because we have a perfectly good Superman sitting in our laps, (laughs) just like sitting at home, anxiously waiting to do this. Like the man has kept himself in Superman shape, just waiting for the call and they've done nothing with him. However, I'm not going to dissent like the rest of the internet and just be like, you're replacing Henry Cavill. This is a bad choice. You can't, or worse yet, those idiots out there going, you can't have a black Superman be our main Superman. Mm. Like, I don't know. 
But this is still frustrating to me because this seems like a blatant PR move from Warner Brothers. Like, I'm not one to typically just go, this is woke culture or whatever else. But we've seen Warner Brothers not have the best track record for diversity and respecting actors of other backgrounds. Look... They're just like, hey, look over here, look over here. We're not in the middle of an investigation with Ray Fisher due to racial profiling. Don't look over here. Um, yeah. Whereas I, I was genuinely pissed, but also just laughed to myself when they said uh, a list of certain black directors that were being considered for this, and they're just like, J.J. Abrams is not being considered to direct for this movie, as some might view that as tone deaf. And I'm going, really. <laughs> Really, Warner Brothers, you think hiring J.J. Abrams, that would be the tone-deaf part here. Yeah. Having a white guy direct a black superhero. Not, you know, you basically ruining the career of one of your black actors from your pre-existing DC franchise. Yeah. You still in an investigation with that. Like, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to this just because I'm looking forward to any Superman movie. But I'm so just... Burnt out is the is not the right word. I'm just more just like this is a clear and blatant like just PR move more than anything else. Yeah. If the Ray Fisher stuff hadn't come up recently, I'd be much more amped for this. But uh Josh, do you see it any other way? Or are you excited for this? What are your thoughts? I and see like the only negative here was I it I felt exactly like some did that why would you do this on Henry Cavill's birthday? Like, that's so... That timing... Uh, it feels like somebody would have to be really, really stupid to not realize that coincidence. Um, that's just... And, like, I know some people that work in, like, marketing firms. Like, that would be something you know. Like So I... Whatever, man. I with that being said, though, I'm absolutely down with this. I've seen some fan casts of like who could play Kal and who would play Luther, and a lot of them I'm really down with, honestly. Okay, let's let's dive into that then. Uh, the rumor obviously has been Michael B. Jordan. What for, for for what feels like years, basically. But he he said he's on the sideline, and I kind of believe it, just because I think he'll be more preoccupied with producing stuff because he's been a very big behind the scenes role for the past few years he's producing the static shock movie um which uh if if you were the people making this movie would you uh now that you have a black clark kent would you also have a black lex luther or do you think the dynamic would be more interesting if you kept lex luther white josh Because I could see either way, actually. Yeah, I can see either way. And there's a lot of conversations here, too. Because obviously you can't just ignore the race issues. No, I think that's going to be a part, um, big factor. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think... I think the bold and risky thing to do would be to keep Luther white. That obviously opens up a lot of conversation, like doors for really, really tough conversations. And like I can hear Luther in my head screaming, you know, like someone, you know, oh, all powerful can't look like him or something like, you know, like something really like sometimes something that would really challenge biases. 
But at the same time, knowing WB, uh, they're not going to be ballsy enough to do something like that. He could have a line something about like, "That's not the face of my savior." Yeah, like you. But exactly, like like that would be. But see, I don't see WB having the balls to put something like that on the big no. screen. I don't see that. Like, if they were smart, this is where you write a the one of the biggest wrongs in the DCEU. And don't have Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, it's still one of the worst castings I've ever seen. Bring in Brian yes. Cranston as your Lex Luthor. Fix your biggest missed opportunity. I think it would be much more interesting if Lex remains white for this and have that be a kind of not the main reason that they fight, but definitely there's some underlying themes there. Like there were some underlying themes in Falcon Winter Soldier. But also on the flip side, how cool would it be to have a strong and powerful black ceo type of like yeah. i've i've come from nothing too but i built myself up to be the most powerful man in metropolis you yeah. are all powerful and i could see that dynamic too kind of like a killmonger black panther situation yeah so the the I casting i've seen the casting i've seen for if they did a black luther was um his name escapes my mind at this particular moment, but um, the guy that played Gib, uh, Gideon, Gib, Gibbons in uh, the Mandalorian, is it Gideon? Not Gideon. Gideon the, sounds familiar. It's the Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. Oh, Juan Carlo Esposito from Breaking Bad. That is what. That's the who I have heard, I've seen. Ooh. Yeah, played opposite. Oh, jeez, and I'm ter- I can never remember this guy's name, but I see his face everywhere mainly because he's he's in good um what is it the good place and there's memes of him all the time um hold on let me live google this um while josh is doing that i don't really care what the race of superman is i don't care if it's clark kent valzod or calvin ellis i don't care what incarnation of superman this is so long as this superman embodies what superman is supposed to be of you can radically differentiate yourself differentiate yourself from the Zack Snyder ones one obvious the obvious one but two if your character starts off hope and optimistic despite maybe having a tough upbringing if you have Jonathan and yeah. Martha also be black and upbring him in a very tough era again that could and he still chooses to be the hopeful and optimistic person in the world like that's powerful right there because heaven forbid superman be hope and optimism for everyone now because i i care about the aesthetics do we think he would have that look like the the calvin ellis the blue with the white and red s I'm also kind of a traditionalist, and I would like to see what a black actor would look like in the traditional red and blue, because I'm still kind yeah. of more of that, because as much as I love the Man of Steel look, I would like a more saturated and full-of-color version of the suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the actor is William Jackson Harper. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you at all, but uh, he's he's a comedic actor at his core. So the bumbling idiot side of Clark Kent could actually be a pretty feasible thing. Uh, But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, I'd be down for traditional. I think it means more to have, give him the traditional. Um, 
Because then it's not like, well, he's Superman, but he's not like Superman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Although, because I haven't even really given, <sighs> given, um, oh my gosh, I'm terrible with names right now. They haven't given, yeah, they haven't given Cavill hit like a real Superman suit yet. Anyway, so well, that was apparently Zack Snyder's plan all along. Um, yeah. Okay. Whatever. In terms of casting the actual Superman character. I don't have anybody off the top of my head just because even if it was a white Superman and we had to recast, I couldn't think of anything because Superman requires such a hard skill set to narrow down. I think it's easier to cast Batman than it is Superman because Superman has to have the physical presence but also the comforting presence. Um, So I kind of hope that we follow the Superman trend of cast an unknown. Give some guy uh, his big shot here. Um, I think that could be great. Um, plus, if it's not a known actor, we'll just see the role. Like, as much as I love Michael B. Jordan, I don't really want him as Superman just because I won't see Superman. I'll just see Michael B. Jordan. Um, so I have optimism about this. It also, because I refuse to let optimism die here. It's just me, the Superman lover in me, refuses to let go of a good thing and refuses to lose hope in anything. Since they've made this abundantly clear that this takes place on a different Earth and a different timeline, Henry Cavill is not ruled out yet. Not officially. Until they, like, officially say something, it's Schrodinger's Superman. He's both dead and he's alive at the (laughs) current moment. I refuse to give up on Henry Cavill. I think... Um, making this Clark Kent also makes it really much easier to tell this is on a different Earth. Whereas if, like I said, if it was Calvin Ellis or Val Zod, would be like, well, where's Cal? It's the Venom situation all over again. Since we haven't seen yeah. Spider-Man in the Venom movies, we're going, well, when is he going to show up? And I think we'd ha- kind of have the same mindset of, yeah, this Superman's cool, but when is Clark showing up? And making him Clark off the bat, that silences that question at least. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. So I, I choose to still see this as a good thing for the most part, but it, it's going to be tricky, but it's not so much a race thing. It's just any Superman project over the past decade has had a tough go of it from a production standpoint. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, there's only so much you can do on that, too. Um, at least at, with that, like you said, at least with them saying, like, it's Clark off the bat, they are all starting on a good on a decent foot, you know, given you know, all the circumstances of the day that they released the news, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, to me, it, it's, it's a good, it's not the best foot, but it's a good foot. A movie that I'm sure will want to get off on the right foot uh, is Venom. Let there be carnage. Now, Sony has been pretty adamant about, we are not releasing any movies until we are back to the theater. And so they've delayed Venom a lot. They've delayed Morbius a lot. They've delayed Uncharted a lot, which we'll talk about because, of course, we have to. But <laughs> they've stopped delaying things. And Venom, Let There Be Carnage, has a definitive release date, but also has now a trailer and a poster. And I'll be the first to admit it. I kind of really dug this first trailer that yeah. we got. Um, I will say, though, I'm much more... I think receptive to the first Venom movie than Josh. I remember you were not the biggest fan of the first one. Yeah. I didn't mind it. It's definitely will never crack crack my like top twenty favorite superhero movies. But 
I had fun with it in the same way that I kind of have like fun with Michael Bay movies um, of just light popcorn fun. But what I appreciate, at least from the this trailer, is this Venom movie seems to take itself a lot less serious than the first mm-hmm. Venom movie. Of I really, really enjoy that opening scene where the symbiote is making Eddie breakfast, even if his singing sounds like a really, really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, wait. Is, is that Arnold voice that he's trying to do? Um, also, um, Mrs. Chan from the grocery store, from the convenience yes. store, she looks younger for some reason now. Like, it's the same yeah. actress, but all of a sudden she looks younger. I appreciate that she has her own relationship with the uh, symbiote. She's like, hi, Eddie. Hi, Venom. Symbiote says hi. Like, <laughs> um, yes. I liked it a lot. Um Carnage looks so much better. Like, uh, I won't say Carnage. Well, we'll dive into the Carnage thing because I still have some issues with that, but I'll dive into that in a bit. I mean, the Woody Harrelson, Cletus Cassidy, looks so much better than he did at the end of Venom 1 with that god-awful clown wig that he was wearing. Um, But before I get into the whole, like, Carnage side of it, Josh, what did you think of this trailer? Dude, I'm so with you. I don't know why, but the fact that Venom, like, no, apparently knows a ton of French is so hilarious to me. Like, there's no reason, A, for this alien species from another planet to know English. B, of all the languages for, for this, for Venom to, like, sing in, why French? <laughs> but it's so funny to me. Um, Yeah, like, just his, the way that Eddie has seemed to just be like, yeah, this is a thing now. Like, I can't really do anything about it. It's so. like a college student during finals week. Yeah. Just doesn't care. Yeah. Now, as cool as I, as cool as Carnage looks and I'm excited for it, I do worry, though, that Venom, Let There Be Carnage will have the same exact issues of Venom of... so. I color corrected some of this carnage to make the red stand out a little bit more. And I really wish the movie did the same thing because carnage is supposed to be red. And I'm very much worried that we're going to have two big greasy CGI monsters fighting each other in the end. Like we had in the first Venom movie, which case you have a big black CGI creature and a big gray CGI creature fighting each other. And it was incredibly difficult to tell the two apart. And I kind of want the colors to pop a little bit more in Carnage so I can tell, okay, who am I supposed to be rooting for? Which one's the one in black and which one's the one in red? Um, so I do worry, though, that we're going to have a lot of that in the finale. But it's Carnage. We've been waiting for Carnage for the longest time. And I think Woody Harrelson is a great choice for this. Even mm. if my first pick didn't get chosen, which um, yeah. was Jackie Earl Haley, which would have been terrifying. Uh, but Woody Harrelson can be terrifying just as well. So I'm excited for it. Um, it was not like my most anticipated, but I'm excited enough for it. However, no. uh, I, have, I have the tinfoil hat down below me, but I can't wear it with these headphones. I see this. I'm going. Disappointing. I'm seeing this going. Okay. So this is set for release September 24th. Mm-hmm. So, um,. End of September is when we're getting our first Uncharted trailer, right? Because um, that this is a major Sony movie, and you're trying to trick people again into believing that Spider-Man might show up into this movie. 
like you did with the first one, even though I really doubt he will be. What's the easiest way to trick people into going, oh yeah, Spider-Man will be in this, have a Tom Holland trailer in the front of this movie. But also, the director of the first Venom movie was Ruben Fleischer. Three guesses who's directing the Uncharted movie as well. Ding, ding, ding. Ruben Fleischer. It There's just too much brand synergy, but also with the Uncharted movie coming out in February, it's just that right distance out. It's October, November, December, January, February. It's about five months out. So that's about the time when movies start ramping up their marketing campaign. So... It's it's just me that cares about this detail, and I don't even care. But I'm excited for Venom Let There Be Carnage because, to me, that's that's probably one we're going to start seeing Uncharted material. And also the movie, I think, could be fun and better than the first one. Uh, Josh, do you think this has a chance of being better than the first one, or do you think that's not a low bar for them to cross in your mind? Um... I mean, it's not a low bar to cross, but uh, I think alone, I might be more excited for this one, mainly for, like, I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff in this trailer, but, like, and lot, like fun moments and stuff, but there's that moment when uh, we hear Woody Harrelson's character talking, and we think it's, like, his human form, and then it, the screen changes to Carnage, and the voice changes, too. And it's like, oh, it was so creepy, and I'm so here for it. So let's go, I guess. I, I think you and I discussed that uh, maybe Andrew might show up in this one. Yes. Well, we could talk about that at a later date yeah. when it gets closer, but. But um, speaking of creepy, I'm just happy that something creepy is on the horizon and not just Spiral, which is again doing that mar- weird marketing thing of hey you want to see the opening few minutes of your movie let, let, let's not do that anymore guys it's just weird um but the actual creepy thing that i'm looking forward to a quiet place 2 it released its final trailer before its release at the end of this month on march 28th and honestly this is one of my most anticipated movies of the year not just because I love the first A Quiet Place so much back in 2018, but because the first A Quiet Place was supposed to come out right when COVID hit in 2020. Yeah. Like, we were genuinely this close to seeing it. Like, I'm still pissed because there are people, official critics out there, that have seen the first A Quiet, uh, have seen A Quiet Place 2. And had reviews ready to go, and the embargo was like about to be lifted a day or two before everything got pushed back. So, the fact that there's people out there that have seen this movie, but not me, makes me mad. Uh, but I love the first one so much. It was my favorite movie of 2018. That first trailer just hooked me, and I knew it was going to be something special. But I didn't realize until I saw it in the theater with Heather how much I was going to like it. Because... Oh my gosh, A Quiet Place, the first one, was genuinely um, incredible, and one of the best movies I've seen in a long time, especially in the horror genre. And so, this trailer doesn't really offer up a whole lot of new, but at the same time, I think that's a good thing. It's more or less kind of yeah. like restarting the car after it's been dead for a while. Like, you gotta, you gotta like, come on, come on, come on. Uh, it, it's a lot of stuff that we've already seen before, 
but it's just kind of reminding you, oh, hey, it's coming out at the end of this month, and you need to see it in theaters. Or you could wait 45 days and see it on Paramount+, Plus, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but... Yeah. Um, Josh, was there anything that stood out to you in the Quiet Place 2 final trailer, or just general hype for A Quiet Place 2? Um, so, you and I are both very hyped for this movie, and for really for the same reasons, and it was kind of, like, really sad about the COVID stuff that, you know, there's people that have seen it that, you know, whatever. That, and uh, I think the really cool thing, though, was they had comments from those people in this fi- final trailer. Now, are they kind might may they be just hyperbole in order to hype this up? Hyperbole. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. Um... <laughs> no, hyperbole is dogs that have had too much sugar. At the puppy nah, bowl. Nah, nah. Hyper bowl. Um, <laughs> I heard somebody call uh, today, one of the guys I work with, called Taekwondo, uh, Taekwondo, and I, I've been thinking about that all day. No, the um, worst I've ever heard is one of my old jobs. Somebody called a pterodactyl a petrodactyl, and I'm going, um, no, petrodact- not- petrodactyl. I'm going, you do realize... The whole gimmick of the pterodactyl is the P is silent. That's where half the dinosaur yeah. jokes come from. But yeah. you do you, man. Whatever. Anyway, um, I did really enjoy the quotes, though. Like, just seeing what people have uh, – the people that have already seen the film have actually think about it and saying, like, you know, like – I think the one that stuck out to me the most was um, – oh, jeez. How was it phrased? Basically saying, like, this is the kind of event that te- that theaters were made for. And I was like, yes. Yeah, boy. Get people back in the theaters. People, and I think a lot of people that say that, you know, streaming is the, is the future, blah, blah, blah. While you might be right, when's the last time you watched a movie in the theater, bud? You go, like, go watch one in the theater. It is, like... It's an experience. So, like, I'm, I'm just super – I might go out of my way to see this in the theater, not like I did with – I didn't go see Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus well, Kong, but that's because it was on HBO Max. That's that's the so. thing is Mortal Kombat, Godzilla versus Kong. This, I think, is one of the first major releases that's only in theaters. Like, you can't see this yeah. on demand anywhere for 20 bucks. You have to go see it in theaters if you want to see this movie at all. But also, just how it was supposed to usher in the summer movie season in 2020, I feel like this is the one that opens the door up for mm. um, the summer movie, not summer movie season, but just the return of movies in general in 2021. Like, Godzilla vs. Kong was really the one that set the table and A Quiet Place 2, I think, is the one that takes the baton and keeps running with it. Mortal yeah. Kombat took the baton, tripped over its feet a little bit. It's still standing, yeah. but it, it's just it's running the opposite direction. And so A Quiet Place <laughs> is just like, give me that. And it's just going to run in the right direction. And even if A Quiet Place 2 doesn't like light of the box office, it's going to be a hit because it's not overly expensive. And it can carry the baton to um, Fast 9 which can carry the baton to Black Widow, which can carry the baton to whoever else. Get the ball rolling. Get momentum back in the theaters. So this is nothing but a good thing of just, ah, I can breathe easy now because I know I won't be breathing easy when I see it in the theater, which is a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Now, 
we were going to just talk about one of these names, but then late today as we're recording this, another name got added to the Knives Out sequel cast. So we were originally just going to talk about Big Sexy Dave, Dave Batista, or Bautista if you're weird and pretentious, or just Batista as we like to call him. Uh, so Big Sexy Dave was added to Knives Out, but also today another MCU cast member, well, former MCU cast <laughs> member, oh, 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 geez. Ooh, ooh. was added to the cast of Knives Out with Edward Norton. One of these, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting. I know I haven't gauged Josh's reaction yet. I think one of these actors... I'm more excited for, and I think one of these actors, Josh, is more excited for, I think is the case. Um, Edward Norton is fine, but to me, both of these actors exemplified exactly what we talked about in our Knives Out wish list uh, video, which neither of these guys were on our list. I double-checked. Oh, wow. Okay. Both of these guys can play both good guy and bad guy. Edward Norton has been a good guy, but he's also played a bad guy. He's played quirky characters like in Wes Anderson movies, um, but he's also been a bad guy. Um, What's the one where he pretends to have social uh, split personality or whatever? Um, Oh. um, Yeah. There was no Aaron. Was it Fight Club? No. Well, that too. But, oh, okay. I thought you were like weren't saying it because we can't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> no, I'm not that smart, Josh. Way to think on your feet. Good job. Thanks, but, man. But Batista Thanks, also has been a bad guy, but also a good guy. I think it's funny that when this news broke, Batista tweeted something about, um, "You thought you could escape from me, Mister Bond?" Because Batista was in Spectre with Daniel Craig as a Bond henchman and was the one of the only good things about Spectre. Hated that movie. Um. I think this is great. I'm obviously more excited for Batista just because I really like Batista as an actor because he's shown this willingness to try and learn two separate things. He's tried so many different projects. You've got My Spy, which sucked, but you also had Blade Runner 2049 and Spectre and Guardians of the Galaxy. He's really tried a bunch of different things, and to me, he's really, really improved as an actor. He was decent in the first guardians but you can tell his maturation and his growth as an actor over these past few years if you can tell he's really put the time and the effort to improve himself he's not the man with the golden arms anymore which wasn't awful but you could tell it's early in his career he's shown such a dedication and a willingness to learn and improve which makes me super excited to see what he does with ryan johnson and then there's edward norton who's already like a really big name high profile actor who not gonna lie i didn't see attached to this just because edward norton is known to not like any part of the creative process that doesn't immediately involve him so um how long before Edward Norton tries to interfere with the script or change uh, the narrative of he, the movie. He probably already has. He probably already has. Yeah. <laughs> like not, yeah, like, it's just Edward Norton's thing. Um, I am very excited for Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, Edward's cool, I guess. I think the, the thing I want them to do with Norton, and I hope that Norton's okay with, is make him do something that's completely different, something he's never done before, something that would be out of the ordinary for us to see him in. Um, which would be just, like, something Wes Anderson-ish. Like, but like, like he was in Grand Budapest Hotel? Yeah, like, but, like, something that's not so... Or, like, um, 
uh, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, mm. um, which is one of my favorite roles for because he's like this like weird quirky like scout master and anyway um he i just give him something unique to do that's not something that we're used to seeing him in that's not some like aggressive role that he just takes over the scene anyway uh but i'm excited to see dave a lot i think the the running gag right now uh with with knives out is they get these really really buff super handsome guys and put them in puffy sweaters and it's just the best, and I'm excited to see what they do with Dave. I because what where this one's set in Greece, is it not? Potentially, we don't know that's confirmed. But when oh, Jamie fair, Lee fair, Curtis fair. said something about the Thrombies won't be in it this time around, they won't be able to join. Um, oh, Benoit Blanc, which I feel dumb because I listened back to our Knives Out wish list. Uh, video from a few weeks ago just to make sure mm-hmm. we didn't say Batista or Edward Norton should be in it which the entire episode I spent calling the character uh, Hercule Perot who is Kenneth Branagh in Murder on the Orient Express Daniel Craig is Benoit Blanc not Hercule Perot one of them is in a good movie the other one is in Murder on the Orient Express so that's me correcting my own mistake I don't know what's more sad, the fact that you said that you made that mix-up, or the fact that I didn't catch it at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the that's the problem. Is it wasn't just once I said this; I said it throughout the entire episode, guys. I swear, I love Knives Out. I just got it mixed up with Murder on the Orient Express, which I absolutely <laughs> hated. Like the movie sucked so much, and I despised it so much. But any last minute thoughts before we go into our discussion, Josh? No, I mean, I mean, Night's Out 2 is something you and I are really looking forward to. So, I mean, why not, you know? Like, let's let's go. I, I am still really apprehensive about Netflix producing it. Um, yeah. But I wanted know, to see this it, in theaters, gosh dang it. Hey, uh, they, with them saying they're, they're going to put Zack Snyder's in there, maybe there's there's a chance. I will say Maybe. though, I will say though that if the Netflix is do, obviously Netflix is doing this because they shell out the four hundred million dollars to get the rights to this, the movie will look good. I've never oh, com- yeah. once complained about. I still think Netflix's four K streaming option is way too overpriced and ridiculously expensive, but the quality of the four K stream itself is spectacular. Like no streaming service to me visually looks as good as a net as a Netflix original either movie or show like their mandate of everything has to be shot in 4k it it holds up it looks pretty good so i'm i'm looking forward to it nonetheless um before we get into our main discussion our sponsor this week again is we've got merch guys we've got all the merch all the merch you would ever need uh just basically follow go to the link in the description that i'll post every single podcast every single video we have merch we've got our charter media shirts mugs hoodies stickers my stickers and my shirts came in um so yeah get whatever you want if the merch does well that's on you guys if you guys want it awesome if not that's totally cool if you guys want to get merch and it does well we will do other designs we've already talked about doing a tinfoil hat shirt which Come on, guys. I really want to do a tinfoil hat shirt. Um, <laughs> we'll do everything else. But also, uh, without delving too much, we are working on things behind the scenes here to get more content up and running. Besides just the con- 
besides just the podcast and the little snippets of news that we get from the podcast. We won't show our full hand yet because stuff is still in development, but what we can say is we are bringing five good things back. Uh, we've thoroughly missed it, but we are working on bringing it back as its own separate video series, which will probably be like a once a month thing. And we're working on, we can't guarantee it, but more than likely it's going to happen, is we want to bring it back, the first episode back, as its own standalone series by the end of this month. So if you guys have any ideas or suggestions of just god-awful and abysmal movies that you think it's impossible to find anything good about whatsoever... Hit us up. We're up for the challenge. We've watched Catwoman. We barely survived, but we watched it, and we found, like, three and a half good things and just pulled <laughs> stuff out of our butt for the other one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you think of any god-awful movies you want us to talk about, send us a comment down below. Um, if you want Uncharted Media merch, go down to the, um, to the links below. And as always, we appreciate you guys. You guys are the best. Now... There's nothing that I like more than movies. Except for maybe movie music. Because I think music in movies is phenomenal. It's a wonderful way to tell your story without visually telling it. Of how do you say, hey, this is what a character is thinking or feeling without going and turning to the camera and saying, this is how I'm looking. This is how <laughs> I am feeling. I can't just tell you my emotions every single time. I think movie music often gets overlooked just as a, oh, this sounds pretty, or people are so caught up with the visuals that they don't really pay attention to the music, unless it's really, really amazing, like the portals scene in Endgame. So, um, to shine a better light on movie music, we're going to talk about our favorite movie composers, your John Williams, your Hans Zimmers, but there's other names out there besides that, because most people are just like, oh yeah, John Williams who did, like, everything, and then yeah. that's kind of about it. There's a lot of other great composers out there and some great movie music. So uh, if it was up to you, Josh, because it is now, where do you start tonight? Where are we starting tonight? Um, I think we're going to go with my one go-to that I always bring up in any chance I get. So John Powell did the... Uh, the Gosh dang it! Gosh dang it! <laughs> did the How soundtrack. to Train Your Dragon, the first How flight. How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> I knew it! I knew John Powell was going to be on this, even if Josh has not seen another John Powell scored no. movie. He's just going to talk about how much he loves the How to Train Your Dragon soundtrack. I knew that was going to happen every single time. Just like how I don't know any movie ever scored by Greg Amundsen, but the man scored Uncharted, so it's wonderful. But I didn't put him on this list because I tried to put thought into it. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, so here's the thing. I have come to find out that John Powell also did a good chunk of the, if not all of the Born movies. So that's cool. That's actually pretty iconic too. Cause that, that's like, I mean, I hear a lot of those soundtracks a lot in my head. So, but definitely how to change your dragon. Yes, specifically first flight. Like, so that's there's, there's rumors that universe, well, there's not rumors. It's confirmed that universal studios is building a third park. And one of the lands is rumored to be a, how to change your dragon ride. I need there to be on-ride audio while you're flying a, one of the dragons to have the first flight music playing. Mm. I'm not even the biggest How to Train Your Dragon fan. That's Josh. I would I would still cry tears of joy because that music is so good. and It, it would Dude. fit all too well for a coaster. Just <sighs> chef's kiss. Just so yes. Good. Um, 
I kind of thought that would happen. Just <laughs> Josh is like, I don't, I don't know how how do I fit How to Train Your Dragon into this? Like, we, what's the most depressing movies in the world? Uh, how to Train Your Dragon. Uh, thought about being sad once. <laughs> it the, is sad. His father doesn't like him when he when he's you know for most of the movie. <laughs> how to Train Your Dragon. Um, they, they, they talked about pizza once, so that, that's a cooking show related movie. Like, Josh Uh, needs like a uh... six degrees of how to train your dragon. (laughs) Oh, believe me, I could do it. I would, I would not have a hard time with it. Um, uh, there's livestock in the movie, so it's about farming, um, uh, So it's Animal Farm, so it's a George Orwell one. So we should watch How to Train Your Dragon in literature class. I mean, you should. I don't. I don't see why that would be a thing. But oh lordy. Okay. <laughs> Josh is getting this thing off the rails. I'm gonna get it back I on track. I am. Do it. Let's see what happens. It's getting more off the rails than an Ozzy Osbourne concert. But oh. let's just get the big one out of the way with All John aboard. Williams. So like, every time anybody says movie music, nine times out of ten, people's first thought is to immediately go to John Williams. Now, in my notes, uh, I made sure to put like famous movies that these people have done the music for i did that for almost everybody except for john williams because you guys know what he's done he has done uh star wars indiana jones superman jaws uh all the major movies that basically kind of sound like they could be played by a high school marching band he has done that's that's his zone and he's good at it. Also, I forgot to specify when we started this discussion for all the people that we're going to talk about today, unless it's John Powell, in which case Josh just brought him up just to say how to train your dragon again. <laughs> Everyone else will be kind of giving our thoughts of what we think their best score is and what an underrated soundtrack that they worked on was. So like John Williams has worked on everything and then you're really, really hard pressed to find something that's underrated when it comes to john williams just because almost everything he touch touches turns to gold and everyone knows what it is however there's one that i think doesn't get the praise or adoration it often deserves considering how good it is and it's one that kind of gets used everywhere else it's just kind of an ambient thing and i still to this day do not understand why the critics tore this movie apart so much with robin williams hook hook Mm. has absolutely gorgeous music it is swinging way above its weight class like the movie's not bad i genuinely don't get why it's like in the 20s on rotten tomatoes it's not that bad guys like this movie has been eviscerated by critics and it's really yeah that's why i was blew my mind when i saw that for the first time it does not fit like it's really guys it's not that bad it's Um, not bad what do you wait what hold on there are people that think Hook is a bad movie? Yeah, you, you keep talking, Josh. I'll look up the Rotten Tomatoes for Hook. I, that's like... But, like, Bangarang and, like... This, and Zuko. Cool and Zuko. Like, there's so... Oh, like, I don't understand how somebody can see that. Maybe it's because it's an odd role for It Robin, is a bit but long. Like, even I'll then, say that. It is a bit I long. Mean, maybe but like if people were penalizing movies for being too long why is Zack Snyder's uh, Snyder cut of Justice League not an not an issue yeah 29% on rotten tomatoes what that that is by the critics 76% by the audience 
okay, I'll I'll accept the seventy six. That that's fine with me. But hey, um, also this movie has Phil Collins in it, so that makes it great and perfect. And also has George Lucas making out with Carrie Fisher, less than perfect. Um, and people that lose their marbles, which I still think is great, even if it's kind I of dumb. I love that. But I love that joke. Hook, genuinely, the music does not get talked about enough. I would put that up there as some of the greatest John Williams music of all time. Now, uh, I kind of want to hear Josh's thoughts on this one of... I have my thoughts and my pick of what I would say is the best John Williams score of all time for an individual movie more than anything else. But if you had to pick Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, Close Encounters, if you had to put one above all, what are you putting as your best John Williams score of all time? Um, I'm going to go straight to Binary Sunset. That's a single track. I understand. It's the best. It's it is literally better. It's the best. It's the pinnacle, John Williams. Like I don't you. I mean, you can. Okay, fine. Um, a new hope. Sure. Okay, I'll, I'll that's the right that. answer because that's I'll, what I'll, I put. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say new hope. That's Whatever. what I put too. So Binary that's the right answer. Sunset is the best. Okay. So oh. what I appreciate is Binary Sunset is Family Guy proof. Like when they made when yes. they're making every fun of everything in the family guy star Wars special and they have chris look off in the distance of the twin sons and they play binary sunset and he just turns to the camera john williams and the london philharmonic orchestra everyone and then they just they just stand and stand they applaud john williams now do the people's court dun 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 you know he's done episodes of uh of the simpsons and of uh two and a half men he's done music for like a few episodes Interesting. He's got tiger blood. That's all facts with Josh. <laughs> what was that? I I was, uh, it's, a new, it's a new segment of the show I've just created. I'm scared. But yes, I'm in agreement <laughs> with you. A New Hope has to be, to me, the best John Williams. It, like, for one individual movie, you could say Duel of the Fates is fantastic, or the Raiders March, or Superman March. But so much of the identity of Star Wars comes from the score, and so much of the Star Wars soundtracks in the later movies would be derived from a New Hope soundtrack with the binary sunset, with the Force theme. The only one that I can really think of besides Duel of the Fates that doesn't originate from a New Hope is the Imperial March, which that blew my mind. I'm just like, wait, that wasn't a New Hope. But no, Imperial March doesn't actually come in for the first time until Empire Strikes Back, which still just, what? Because you just like, it's the Berenstein, Berenstein Bears thing of just like you misremember your entire childhood. Um, <laughs> the other name that people tend to think of when they think of movie scores is Hans Zimmer. Basically the, I don't want to say the antithesis to John Williams, but the other side of the coin. coin. Whereas John Williams is much more old school, like traditional marches and a lot of stuff that high school marching bands can play at halftime, as I like to call it. Hans Zimmer is much more boom, boom trailer music yeah. of like the more new school way of thinking and Hans Zimmer has done so so much that you don't even realize that was him uh, obviously you've got the Dark Knight trilogy obviously. you've got Gladiator Man of Steel Sherlock Holmes the Antoine Fuqua King Arthur what I almost put as his most underrated soundtrack with Kung Fu Panda cause <clears throat> dude the first time I watched Kung Fu Panda 2, when Poe learns of his true lineage and he finally does the raindrop thing for the first time, Dude. that music is like, holy crap, John. 
like holy crap hans it's that meme of just like all right hans it's a movie about a fighting panda don't you don't need yep. to go too hard with the music and it's the flaming <laughs> piano and it's just because yeah. <laughs> guys i'm trying to remember what the song title is called but in kung fu panda 2 when poe kind of just kind of gets his hero mojo back the music for that is so powerful and it just moves you but like in general like the music for kung fu panda like because did he did he do all of it or just two I think he did all three. Okay. I know he did at least so, the first two. To me, I'm going to put most underrated and my personal favorite of Hans. And that's a lot of that's not because I'm almost as big of a fan of the Kung Fu Panda movies as I am How to Train Your Dragon, but that's not the point. Point being, for, for Hans Zimmer, the bomb bomb inception guy, um, to do something as beautiful and as elegant as that Kung Fu Panda score, it just because there's so many moments like like you said like all right man you don't need to go hard but like holy crap like dude like some of the main themes in the in the the last fight for Kung Fu Panda one and like. Just I'm just hearing the flute in my head. It's just like it's so good. It's so also different from the rest of what you would consider mm-hmm. a John a Hans Zimmer score because it you does did it use again. yeah I, I'm getting mixed <laughs> up with John Williams but it, his music for Kung Fu Panda is so radically different but also fits the movie with like you said the flutes it's got much more of an Asian flair to the music which really really works it's not just a we're just gonna stick Hans Zimmer music in here and make it fit it's no we're gonna make this work within the narrative and make it feel like it belongs there I'm going to flip it this time and go with the best first just because I really, really want to talk about his most underrated music by far last. Uh, To me, being a kid in the 90s, it was either the Dark Knight trilogy for his best music Mm -hmm. or what I'll actually end up sticking with, The Lion King. Because... Wait, what? Hold on. What? He scored The Lion King, guys. Like, all the music was obviously done by the various artists, like Ernie Sabala and Nathan Lane for Hakuna Matata. All the singing was those were specific people. But the instrumental, like This Land or King of Pride Rock, was Hans Zimmer. And God, good God, it is so beautiful. Like, when Simba's climbing up the rock at the end of the movie. Da, 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 da. That's Hans That's Zimmer. Crazy and it's crazy to me. Y'all have been listening to Hans Zimmer a lot longer than you think you have without even realizing it's him. That's so... Because, like, my first, like, memories, like, because Hans did um, Inception, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, like, that's, like, that's my first, like, vivid memory of, like, oh, that's a Hans Zimmer score. Yep. That's crazy. I'm having my mind blown today. Josh may be reevaluating <laughs> which well, is his nah, best. No, 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 I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Because Kung Fu Panda is way too good. I don't know. We might change Josh's mind one more time because I think Hans Zimmer's most underrated music by far is a movie that should not be nearly as good as it is, but also has a phenomenal voice cast, phenomenal musical numbers, and a phenomenal score in The Prince of Egypt. Wait, no. Hold on. No way. I've got to Google that. There's no way. Hold on. Prince of Egypt. Yes, that one. Um, uh, 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 
cut music. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Hold on. Not the music. Just the Google. Thank you, Google, for taking this my this episode of of uh, Morty's Mind Blowers down a way too long of a path. This is entertaining for me. What? How? <laughs> what? That's so crazy. Now, now, Josh might be reconsidering. That's. What? Josh may ha- may have a new I, favorite film composer. I okay okay because here's the thing. Whenever like I think of Prince of Egypt specifically, I think of the the burning bush theme. Okay, we I'm need like to that, talk about the burning bush. We need to yes. talk about the burning bush. Okay, so that's like the theme that gets me every single time, right? But so like now it's not surprising of like <laughs> of the of kung fu panda theme, right? Because if if like your introduction to Hans Zimmer is Inception and Dark Knight, like you, he's he, like you said, he's the antithesis to John John Williams. He he kind of does things differently outside of the box. But with and so that makes Kung Fu Panda a such a big surprise. But if it's Prince of Egypt, I'm just like now uh, you got to choose Prince of Egypt or how to or um Kung Fu Panda. I'm sticking my guns. I'm sticking my guns. I'm sticking my so, guns. I gotta, I gotta do it. <laughs> I gotta stick to my guns. <laughs> we talked, we, we said very, very briefly about the burning bush. And guys, if you have not, uh, so basically the Prince of Egypt is the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. That's what it is. And DreamWorks, please go back to making movies like that. I don't mean like Christian movies, but just movies to that quality. Cause holy crap, the animation was incredible the music was incredible but the moment uh, where Moses more or less hears God for the first time and he sees a burning bush it is so impossible nearly to basically give I don't say the presence because that's not the right word but a godly spirit to music but somehow Hans Zimmer did it of when you listen to this track you understand immediately this is a godly spirit. This is genuinely God speaking to Moses because without any dialogue being said, it is a little creepy. It's strong. It's powerful, but it's comforting and relaxing all at the same time. It's all these complex things that are often associated with a godlike figure all wrapped up into one it's... gorgeous music, which I thought was almost like if you were to say, how would you describe God using only music? I would think that's an impossible task, but listening to the burning bush and going that it's scary, but amazing. And I can't stop listening to it. And it's gorgeous. And it's powerful, but comforting at the same time. It's soft. Yeah. It's strong. The, the, the song itself, like it builds from these soft notes into something so aggressive but loving and like I'm not even like talking about the speech that is made in that scene. I am like, that I am. Yeah, I am. Oh boy, let's go. 
look, I like I know both of us come from like a Christian background, so like it's hard to like not be like, bro, this is the most the moment Moses goes like is becomes Moses. You know what? Like it's like Batman coming Batman. It's so cool. But, <laughs> it's like, like Moses picking up Captain America's shield. Yeah, like this is the moment, bro. But like it's just the the music and the combined like any good music adds to the animation. The animation's already gorgeous, already conveys the emotion, and the voice acting is already doing that for us. But like that score just takes it to another level. All right. Anyway, so let's stop geeking out about Hans Zimmer. Uh, no. What else? Did, yeah. <laughs> no. The rest of the show is just Hans Zimmer and Josh. <laughs> Josh will realize everything else that the man has scored without realizing it. He did <laughs> Babe Pig in the City. I, I don't know. He actually he might have, knowing Hans Zimmer, just because. Zimmer. Um, next up, I've got a kind of an up-and-comer, but he's been doing it a while, but he's starting to get more and more uh, projects that I'm noticing his name attached to that gets me really, really excited. A guy by the name of Marco Beltrami. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, who has done movies like Ford v. Ferrari, uh, Logan, The Giver, Snowpiercer, iRobot. Uh, however, I think by far both his best and I still think his most underrated is he did the music for A Quiet Place. And mm. that music, the score to A Quiet Place just hits me hard every single time, whether it's A Quiet Family at the beginning, it's just like, the sense of peace and calm, but still this distantness of like the family clearly is not speaking. Obviously they're not speaking because it's dangerous to talk, but they're not expressing themselves either. That's why quiet place is so perfect for, to me of it's literally a metaphor for this family refusing to acknowledge a situation that happened. And so it's causing this rift without ever a word being spoken. And the music reflects that it's strained. It's comforting but a little uncomfortable at the same time. But also, when he plays the music for I Love You, I Have Always Loved You, will never not just shatter my heart into a thousand pieces, <laughs> which I don't want to spoil it for those that haven't seen it. But if you think A Quiet Place is just going to be your traditional um, scary movie, no, 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 no. There's a lot of family complexities, but also... Again, kind of piggybacking off of the Prince of Egypt thing, when I see A Quiet Place, there's, to me, a lot of religious undertones, whether Krasinski intended them or not, and I got a very much a God-Jesus situation going on, or a God-children uh, situation going on with John Krasinski and his daughter, and the sacrificial nature of that, and it's just so beautiful to me, and the music does such a good job of encapsulating it, but also... Um, the tenseness of certain scenes when she's hiding in the bathtub you're just like white knuckling it and the music certainly does not help um of the ones that i've listed including a quiet place i'm assuming a quiet place is the one that stands out to you the most josh yeah that's i i the the biggest issue i've ran into us doing this was like there's a lot of people that i just I had no idea who they were. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Cobb. Yeah, I'll, I'll do uh, Quiet Place because the music is awesome. I mean, it doesn't ha it doesn't hurt that the sound design is incredible, so the music is going to automatically stand out. So, Well, also, um, the music for Logan is so good, too. It kind of has yes. – sounds a lot like A Quiet Place, a very much more subdued music, mm -hmm. which – 
Man, Margot Beltrami is who you go to when you just want to write sad music. Like, um, I know The Last of Us had a guy, but if that guy was unavailable, you can get... Somebody get Marco Beltrami to do the music for The Last of Us HBO series, please. Because um, when Logan's holding his heart at the end, just oof. Beltrami knows how to pull on your heartstrings. Uh, another one that I think is a really underrated score by his, and it's a very underrated movie that I think we're still getting a sequel to. I hope we do. Uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Really, really enjoyed that one. And I think that's a decent, obviously, it's a horror score. You kind of have to know where to go with that. And I think he does a pretty decent job considering it sounds different than the rest of his movies. No, yeah, I still haven't seen Scary Oh, it's so good. I, I have a name. Oh, is it Josh? No, it's not me. I don't write You said music. I have a name. Oh. All right, guys. This is the end of the podcast. Thanks for coming. This is great. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let's. I don't know if he's on your list at all, but uh, you. you well, I kind of want to bring up Howard Shore. I thought about it, but at least for me, I couldn't think of anything besides um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Edge of Darkness. With Mel Gibson? Edge of Darkness? With Mel Gibson and Frank Grillo? Yeah. How, did you not see that? I movie? did not see Edge of Darkness with Mel Gibson it, and Frank Grillo. As am much I as the I only love Frank- one that... I think you're the only one like period period like not just on this I, podcast but like in the I world love, I love that movie um, he also did music for the Twilight Saga so Twilight has great music which Fair. like that's a whole Fair. other sec- that could be a yeah. whole other discussion <laughs> of bad movies with great soundtracks because Transformers, every single one of them has a phenomenal soundtrack and score. Like Steve Jablonski yes. freaking crushed it in Transformers. Um, um, Twilight's no different. Are are you the one of my friends that loves Hugo? Yes! Hugo is wonderful! He did the music for Hugo. Ah, Hugo. Just, uh, yeah, that's... that's all. Hugo to yeah. me, Hugo to me is like if hot chocolate was a movie. It's just comforting. That's not Polar Express? No, Polar Express is nightmare fuel. <laughs> Polar Express is hot chocolate that's been allowed to sit and then you re microwaved it three months later and expect it to still be good. Okay, so anyway. Um... No, Hugo is like, just, it gives me a warm, nice feeling in my tummy seeing Sasha Baron Cohen actually act, but also the appreciation for early days of film it's just wonderful don't get don't get me on a hugo side tangent don't try and distract me like you're a high school okay. math student trying to get out of a test yes all right so let me ask you then uh because lord of the rings is really all you know from him i mean obviously not now but um do you have i'm gonna narrow it down to tracks bridge of casa doom oh yeah that's in fellowship right yes yeah, bridge yeah, of casa yeah. doom um, one, because it's the same music from the Man of Steel trailer. Um, but two, it's just beautiful. Um, or when the Fellowship is all together, which only plays in Fellowship, obviously, because it's the only time all of them are together united. Also, I don't know what the music track is, um, but it's whatever goes with my favorite scene in Lord of the Rings, which is, I didn't think it would end this way. 
end? Oh, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back, and it all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. See what? White shores, and to a swift sunrise. That doesn't sound so bad. No. No, it doesn't. Ah, just I love that scene so much, and the music that plays with that. And then you think Gandalf's gonna die, and then all of a sudden, the writers of Rohan, Rohan come in, and you're just like, yes, it's a red day, it's a red day, guys, we're all gonna die, death. And that music just kicks in. Oh, I'm gonna be right back. I'm gonna jog around the street. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely up there. But, uh, I mean, it's up there with uh, my personal favorite, which is uh, the speech at the Black Gate. Mm. Oof. Oh. Which I'm sure I've sent it to you, but uh, for those at home, there's a version where um, they are at the Black Gate and Return of the King. Instead of the regular music, they do the Portals music from Endgame. <laughs> so it's like, dun-dun, uh, dun-dun. <laughs> For Frodo, and I'm like, it's kind of amazing. Um, so the scene with Gandalf is always the one that breaks me, but I know the scene that always breaks Josh and has amazing music for that too is, my friends, you bow to no one, Ooh. and and <laughs> my guy, let me tell you something, <laughs> brother. Brother, <laughs> just start cutting a promo mid podcast, <laughs> dude. Like all the like, Lord of the Rings. Okay, look, man, I almost want to do like a just an episode <laughs> where we just geek out about Lord of the Rings. Just a because, watch like, along. Oh, no, man, we don't have time for a eight hour stream. Um, <laughs> After you but, watch the movie, that's what you're gonna be peeing. Oh man, stop. Anyway, um. No, yeah, it's just like, there's so many, I think that's the thing for me, that Lord of the Rings is already iconic, and the music is even more so. For that to be like, I'm not even going to bring up The Hobbit, because I hate those movies. Um, Music's fine. It's (gasps) fine. How have we not talked about concerning Hobbits? Concerning oh, Hobbits. Yes! Concerning Hobbits was my oh. alarm clock in college, basically the entire time, and I still use it from time to time. It's just like that. As soon as you play it, you're immediately in your happy place of just like, ah, my world's on fire. How about yours? But, <laughs> but concerning Hobbits is on. Which, if All Star is not also your soundtrack to life, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're doing you're doing life wrong. If Shrek it does it isn't love and isn't life. Um, However, actually, with Concerning <laughs> Hobbits, there is one other song that I'll talk about later that is just like, Concerning Hobbits is one of my go-to. Everything's fine. I'm peaceful and calm. But there's one that's just like, sun's getting real low, big fella. Like, the Hulk calmingness. There's a song for me that I'm just like, okay, I'm going to melt into a puddle of just calm now. But we'll get we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, is, it, is it like the main theme of uh, Iron Giant? No, actually, I have nothing, <laughs> I have nothing from Michael Kamen. Which I'm like one of the only people that knows that it's Michael Kamen that did the music off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> it's because I may or may not have most of the soundtrack on my phone. Bedtime yeah. Stories is wonderful. Bedtime Stories and No Following I listen to all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to fault you for that. They, uh, oh, I, also, they, Souls Don't Die as a soundtrack, as a score. <laughs> it's just a banger. <laughs> 
straight banger. I love that, like, I'll send you, like, anime songs, like, every now and then. You're like, that's a banger. And, like, that is never the word that I, <laughs> I think of when we're talking about, like, movie scores and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, back to me with one yeah, that yeah, yeah, is yeah. going to be a little... Going to get on some technicalities here. Uh, so... Uh, I love me some Henry Jackman, but I was not introduced to Henry Jackman via a movie. But he's done plenty of movies, so he's fair game for this list. I was first introduced to him with my favorite Henry Jackman soundtrack, Uncharted 4 Thief's End. It's still the best. And I pray to the movie gods above that Henry Jackman is scoring the Uncharted movie, because, yes, please. Uh, but from a movie standpoint... Y'all know Henry Jackman's music better than you think you do. He has done Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, the entire Falcon Winter Soldier series, both Jumanji movies, Uncharted 4, Kong Skull Island, both Kingsman movies, X-Men First Class, and what I consider to be his most underappreciated soundtrack, Big Hero 6. Mm. Because my heart is just full of joy whenever Hero and Big and Baymax fly over San Francisco for the first time in Baymax suit. It's just epic. And then they sit on top of the blimps and just hang out as buddies for the first time. And Baymax is like, your vital signs are improving. And it's just, oh, it just warms my heart. And the soundtrack is so good. And his work on Uncharted is just fantastic. And it's more than a little suspicious that when he did Jumanji, which is kind of similar, I heard the Uncharted theme get dangerously close to being played in the Jumanji. I'm like, oh, 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 you got, you got close there, Jackman. I'm watching you. Please do Uncharted because you're more than qualified because you've done it before and you've done adventure movies before. Uh, if Uncharted 4 can't count as his best soundtrack because it's a video game, I'll go with X-Men First Class because the training oh, montage yeah. is so good. Like, when everyone's getting their powers, that's some amazing music. Uh, of the ones that I've listed, basically any of the Winter Soldier movies, the Kingsman movies, the Jumanjis, Big Hero 6, any of that stand out more than anything else to you, Josh? Wait, he did Kingsman? He did both Hold Kingsmans. Mm, okay, yeah, then it's Kings. Like, that's an easy choice for me. Like, I love the like everything about the Kingsman movies, so... And the music's great, so yeah, let's see. Let's just we're just gonna stay there. I don't know why, but when I think Kingsman music... Oh, well, I know why, but when I think Kingsman music, I think... Take me home to home, the place home. where I belong. Love. And then all the people that haven't seen him are just going super, super confused. And all the people that have seen it are just like, I salute, salute you. you. Oh, just, But, like, the main theme is fantastic. What are you talking about? Like, it's, um, yeah. Anyway, definitely Kingsman. I can't. There's no argument there. Uh, it's been actually a really long time since I've watched Big Hero 6. And I, so I think I might. It's in the voodoo. Yeah. So I'll watch it tonight. Why not? Yeah, it's well, so good. Well, it's in the voodoo. 4K. What, could go, what could it possibly go wrong? Yeah. Josh says, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Our computer crashes again. We have that missing episode somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I said that there's a song that just calms me more than concerning hobbits, of just like, if I'm in an unbridled rage, put this on and it'll immediately calm me. The man responsible for that soundtrack is a guy by the name of Thomas Newman who has done stuff like the brilliant Finding Nemo, which, honorable mention to Nemo's Egg, the opening music, 
for the Ooh. title card. Do, 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 do. Oh, mm, goosebumps. Uh, 1917. Like, I've never almost leapt out of my seat faster than when Schofield is just booking it across the battlefield with the epic music coming in. You're just like, you're so close. You're so close. Come on. Come on. Uh, he did 1917. Skyfall. Outstanding. Uh, Wally. But to me, his best soundtrack by far and the one that always just like gets right to my heart fills with joy and hope and optimism because that's what the movie's about the shawshank redemption <laughs> how did i know it was either gonna be iron giant or shawshank redemption one of the two english oh. do you speak it no i don't never but yes the end titles for the shawshank redemption oh my god goodness just i feel this overwhelming sense of calm and relief when that plays just this just feels right but then you get tracks like so was red um that soundtrack is just so life affirming and that's really what i could say about thomas newman's scores is they're just life affirming he also did the music for saving miss uh saving mr banks which also has that like sad tragedy sound to it at times but ends with real uplifting music if it wasn't Shawshank for him I think Finding Nemo would probably be his best as well because Finding Nemo's got some incredibly touching music like Thomas Newman is the one guy that you get if you really want to pull on someone's heartstrings or like we said with 1917 just really ramp up the tension and excitement he can do that too but in terms of just calm wonderfully contemplative and happy mellow ambient music type is is going to be your thomas newman types okay (laughs) i've got (laughs) i've got one more danny elfman no no i'm just kidding i was just curious to see what josh oh thank god because i was like i'm gonna have to pretend like i like this guy and i was like i'm not no i really just wanted to see josh's reaction because i've never really cared for danny elfman really i liked sleepy hollow i like his score for sleepy hollow quite a bit and the original batman score is fine but danny elfman is not really my favorite um but this guy has done superhero movies and plenty of them basically Back in the 80s, and still to this day, kind of, if you can't get John Williams or Hans Zimmer, you get Alan Silvestri, who has done Back to the Future, Avengers, Polar Express, rears its terrifying CGI head once again, Forrest Gump, the original Predator, what I consider to be his most underrated score, The A-Team. And yes, I stand by that statement. The 18 movie is phenomenal on all fronts, and y'all hate on it way too much. But I'm sure I have hindsight bias when I say this, but Alan Silvestri's best score by far has to be Avengers Endgame. Not just because of the fantastic portal scene, but the integration of other themes. Like, if you're paying attention close enough... You know Black Widow is going to die very early on in the movie. Because if you remember correctly, in Infinity War, when Thanos yeets Gamora over the edge, um, there's a specific music that's played. And Alan Silvestri also did the music for Infinity War. Well, that same music that plays on Morag is the same music that plays when Cap goes to visit Black Widow. And they're just like, hey, I've got this sandwich. You want it? 
Um, so if you're listening carefully, that kind of is your tip to say, hey, she's going to die. Uh, obviously, the Portals music is fantastic, but rewind it like a minute or two before that. When Steve picks up the hammer for the first time, he somehow manages to merge the Thor theme with the Captain America theme, which, of course, he would know the Captain America theme better than anybody else because he scored Captain America, the first Avenger. Mm. Henry Jackman would do two and three, but the first one was scored by Alan Silvestri, who took heavy inspiration from the Superman theme, which is why you've got that triumphant march slash horn sound to Captain America. Do, 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 as opposed to dun, 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 with Superman. They're very, very similar. It's almost like he's trying to thematically tell you that these characters are similar, but he's doing it in a musical way. Um, or even the music that plays um, when Tony dies or in his funeral. I just think the score for Endgame is so, so good. Um, but obviously Josh's favorite is Back to the Future by far. I just like Back to the Future. The, what's wrong with the music, though? Well, that's fair. It's not bad. It's just 80s. It's so 80s. Um, it which is I guess 80s. I, I, I can't really faulted for that um also polar express is terrifying but that's got great music yeah yeah it's very memorable um captain america first avenger is fantastic Horace uh, gump don't like it but good music the, the the music gets the job done i'm glad um, jenny died any in any anyway even predator um, so if he did the music then yeah. alice vestries should be credited for the da 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 at the beginning, that kind of sounds like a hardcore version of Mario. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's hard to get better than Endgame, though. It really is. I mean... I like, the portal scene, the... Just any of this... When, when Thanos is sitting, just sitting by himself, waiting, and that you have that bill... Oh, like, there's so many good moments... Yeah, no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Endgame. Maybe it's because it's most recent in memory, and maybe because of how good they, that movie was. But I don't know. Like, yeah, and like, there's just he builds on a lot of things, and like you said, like the the meshing of Captain America's theme and Thor's theme, and doing that kind of together in that moment. Like, that's just yeah. That I'm, I'll go Endgame. Uh. Quick honorable mention that we bring we talk about um, merging Captain America's theme and Thor's theme. Patrick Doyle with the original Thor score when he uh, finally beats the Destroyer. That music mm. is just mm. or Thor's theme when you hear for the first time when he comes down to the Great Hall with the horn with the wings. I mean, and he's all cocky and arrogant. That music is so so good. Um, I know you and I both just scream from the top of our soapboxes. The first Thor is very underappreciated and it's really, really good. And the music does a great job. Like when Thor is just about to pick up the hammer. Yeah. Uh, he's just like, I've done it. I've infiltrated the base. I've redeemed myself. And the music is building and it's swelling. And the hammer's stuck. So just as quickly as the music rises, it sinks. And you f yourself feel this like sinking feeling in your gut going, oh, we're building for nothing. But it works when the music does kick back in when he finally beats the destroyer. You're just like, yes, this this is how it's meant to be done. 
Um, but what do you guys think? Who are some of your all-time favorite movie composers, whether they're John Williams, a Hans Zimmer, somebody else that we completely didn't mention, like a Mark Mothersbaugh with the Lego movie? Um, let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. Uh, what's your favorite movie soundtrack of all time? Let us know. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And don't forget, if you want to get any Uncharted Media merch, just check out our store on TeePublic. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.